This is the Media Week Industry Podcast from the people at mediaweek.com.au. Welcome to a new episode of Mikado and Manning, our weekly TV podcast. Got some uh, interesting shows to talk about this week, The Staircase, The Offer, which we sort of uh, teased a little bit before. I'm going to talk about Shining Girls. Uh, We've got a little bit of interesting Australian TV history to get into. So let's uh, welcome back our uh, regular co-host, Andrew Mikado. Hi, James. Um, Look, there's some... There's some good shows this week, but there's something troubling about a couple of them for me. Um, okay. And, and I'll, I'll lump together um, particularly The Staircase, which is um, getting a lot of hype, a lot of chatter at the moment. I think it's launching on, um, I think it's is it an HBO series, but it, I think it is, but My it's definitely on. Is that it's coming uh, screening in Australia tonight, Thursday, when we're recording this on Fox Showcase. Yeah. Uh, and so I'm planning to watch it tonight. I tried to watch the preview link so I'd know what was going on in uh, the show starring Colin Firth and uh, Tony. Uh, Tony. But you know what, James? I've been having this drama that's been going on for a couple of months now. The last time I got a new phone, the one thing that doesn't translate from one phone to another is authenticator apps. And so all of the various apps that I have that I have to sign into to watch certain shows from overseas, they don't work and it's an absolute nightmare. So, of course, last night... I sat down to watch The Staircase and then spent the next hour trying to get my app to work, couldn't do it, and now we'll go into weeks and weeks of trying to figure out how to fix it. So you have you seen The Staircase yet? I have, yes, yeah. Um, and, well, just on those authenticator apps, so the way it works, for some people, just give you a link and you can watch it, no dramas. Some people make you uh, log in and then yes. they will send you an email with a number. Is that what yep. you're talking about? And then you no, need to this is that the one that says log into the website. Now open the Authenticator app on your phone and punch it in. Well, the Authenticator app on my phone doesn't work because it hasn't transferred over properly. So I end up in this hellish nightmare situation uh, with the distributors trying to prove who I am for them to reset the authenticator. I won't even go into it. Yeah, well, I mean, I I don't do a lot of previews, to be honest, because mainly because I can't find the time, so I end up watching them when they're broadcast. But, um, yeah. but yeah, this one worked for me anyway, the staircase. Now, now I mentioned it's troubling because th- there's two staircases on uh, Netflix. There's The first one was the 13-episode documentary from 2018, which was right. sort of into this... Um, this famous case of the the novelist and his wife who dies after she falls down the staircase in the home. Um, now, this and that, that's a pretty fascinating doco, and it but it, it hasn't had a lot of traction here. I mean, the case was a big deal in the US, um, and it, I, I remember following it vaguely when it happened. Um, Michael Peterson was the the author. Um, and there's a famous 911 call he made about, you know, finding his wife. And, and he ended up getting convicted um, of murdering. It was his, actually his second wife, and it's played by Tony Collette in, this, in the new dramatisation. 
but then he got out um, after a new trial um, on, I think he was on convicted of manslaughter um, and and he got out because of the time already served. No plot um, spoilers. <laughs> no, well, well, it's a it's a sort of famous case, so you can't really um, spoil the plot, I guess. But anyway, and the new dramatization, the new dramatization actually references the. It shows the because it was I think it for initiated as a French documentary, the original staircase, and the new drama references the guys in France thinking about making the documentary anyway. But the thing that's troubling it to me about is the graphic way the series starts when they recreate the evening of, of her death. And I just found it a bit over the top. I just thought it was a little bit unnecessary and I just found it quite troubling. And it was, you know, the show moves on and you get into the sort of um, the way the case unfolds and the, the court case and I mean I've only seen the first couple of episodes and look it is pretty fascinating but something about I just couldn't get past that sort of that that opening where I just thought they showed too much and dwelt on it and I don't know just showing that trauma that um can we talk that, about the fact that so many crude true crime stories are get that getting this triple treatment we're getting a podcast a documentary, and then a dramatisation of it. How yeah. many more times do we see and hear the same gruesome story? Yeah, I mean, I'm just wondering if I'm starting to get a little bit over. So, you know, there's been so much crime stuff around. Um, and I like the thriller aspect, but I don't like the, the graphic um, portrayal of some of the stuff. I just don't think it's... You know, and I just worried I don't want to get ever get used to that either, really, because, you know, there's so much killing goes on in, I mean, like you'd think back, I mean, one nipple gets shown or something, there's massive outrage, but yeah. you can have you can have 10, 20 deaths in a film or, a, or throughout a TV series and no one raises an eyebrow. And it just yeah. seems very strange, you know. It is. It's really messed up. And, and I've talked about this a lot. On American free-to-air network TV, you still can't show a naked breast on a woman unless <laughs> she's dead, lying on a slab, being cut up by a mortician oh. in an autopsy mm. on a CSI yeah. show. I mean, that's how messed up uh, Hollywood is and the American public when it comes to sex and violence. Nobody bats an eyelid, as you say, at shows with multiple murders and all sorts of stuff going on, but heaven forbid that Janet Jackson's nipple pops out at Super Bowl. Then it's Armageddon. I know, yeah, it's a really strange thing that we've got to, isn't it? Uh, that that the way the way people accept um, accept that on on the screen. But I mean, look away from that. Um, my my problems with the sort of the, the setting and the tone it sets right at the start. There's some. Some pretty impressive performances. Um, Colin Firth's the, the lead in it as Michael Peterson. Apparently, a role that Harrison Ford was originally going to play, but he dropped out. Uh, Tony Collette is pretty amazing as his wife. Um, she's not in it a lot. There's a lot of flashbacks, and again, this is one of these series. The um, the time frame jumps around a fair bit, so you've got to be sort of onto that. Um, Sophie Turner plays one of her of um, her daughters. So I think that as a big family, they've 
with children from both um, past relationships um, make up this big sort of wider family. Um, so that's really good. And Tony Collette's been really busy of lately. I mean, she was in Nightmare Alley. She's also in Pieces of Her, which is another fairly recent um, Netflix release. And as I was just checking through her, um, her CV, I don't think I've ever seen this. She was in the, the 2012 movie just called Hitchcock with Anthony Hopkins and Helen Mirren playing Hitchcock oh, yeah. and his wife. And it just yeah. really made me think, gee, I'd love to go and dig that out. It's funny. I just saw that again recently. I don't know where I was, flipping channels or something. I was at someone's house and it was on and it was the second half of the film. You know, Anthony Hopkins plays Hitchcock, Helen Mirren, the woman behind the man who, you know, as in many cases as we find out now, these fantastic successful men uh, actually wouldn't have been able to do it without the woman helping them behind the scenes, advising them, making sure they get there on time in the morning. You know, it's, it's very interesting to, to be telling these stories now, which we have much better focus on these days. Yeah, yeah. So that's just an aside. It's just something else if you're interested in digging into um, Tony Collette's really impressive body of work. That's probably one that, that's a must-watch. Um, the, the other one I wanted to mention, which did have some troubling scenes in it for me too, and not just because it was graphic, so I found the plot a little bit hard to, to keep up with um, Shining Girls, a new, new series that's uh, fairly recent on Apple TV+. Plus. Yeah, did, I did just you... watched the first episode just then. Yeah, yeah. The uh, Funny you mentioned the morgue where you're cutting someone open. That's, that's one of the, the scenes that I, well, I had to look away a little while in uh, this is um, I agree with you. It's very, very creepy, this show. That first scene with Jamie Bell was just so, such a feeling of dread. And, uh, yeah, I found the one of the murder scenes pretty graphic and unpleasant. And, yeah, I, I don't know that I'm going to go back to it and watch a second episode. I found it quite disturbing. Yeah, it's on Elizabeth Moss plays a sort of a, she works as an archivist or a librarian for the Chicago Sun-Times. This is back in the analogue world when, when everything wasn't available just to search online. People used to yep. go down the, I remember the newspapers in Sydney used to have great sort of libraries of all cuttings and files of all the old newspapers and used to be someone running that you could just call up and say, look, you're interested in finding about this. They'd pull the relevant files, they'd wheel a trolley up to your desk and you'd, you'd be offered that stuff to help with your research for the pieces. That's all long yeah. gone, of course. Anyway, Elizabeth Moss does that. Um, she plays someone called Kirby, but that's not her real name as it unfolds, and she has a bit of a, an interesting past. Um, but, yeah, it's, a, it's really about a, a serial killer. You mentioned um, Jamie Bell, who's, who's very good in whatever he does, but he's very good in this too. Yeah. Play someone called Harper. Um, I think he actually played Bernie Taupin in Rocket Man, the Elton John um, biopic. Yeah. So yeah, so so that's him. But um, yeah, I found it. It's not a cheery thing at all. Really, it's a it's a bit of a downer. I mean, the the reviews I've seen so far, at least from sort of people who, who've watched it, not sort of critics. I haven't delved into what the critics have said too much, but. They were torn between it's just, look, this is a load of rubbish. It's just it's too much. It's too hard. And then some people are probably Elizabeth Moss fans think, well, look, this is brilliant. 
another piece of brilliant work from her. It's interesting that she really chooses the quirky projects to work on, doesn't she? There's never anything too straightforward about what she does. Yeah, but isn't it time for Elizabeth Moss to do a comedy? I mean, for God's sake. <laughs> I mean, how many more times can we watch this poor woman getting tortured and stalked and locked up? And, oh, honestly, it's so masochistic. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. I, I kept thinking that through. Oh, look, another sort of torturous Elizabeth Moss series. <laughs> I mean, you know... Um, I, I'm with you. I don't know if I'll be up for the ride of all of this one because these days there's just so much on offer. Um, something interesting is the um, the journalist is paid by a guy called, well, what's his name? Um, he was, anyway, he's the guy who played, um, he plays a journo Dan in this. Um, yep. I think it's Wagner Mora. Oh, yeah. I think it's Wagner Mora, but he paid Pablo Escobar in Narcos. Oh, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I've seen him before. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So he's, he's sort of interesting. He's the one thread in it that makes me maybe want to keep watching it, the way he's the journalist who sort of digs into the case. And Elizabeth Moss is one of his sources, but he, he realises the problem of having a colleague as being a source for a story in the newspaper and, and the what I've seen so far, he doesn't reveal that she's one of his sources because he, he does see the conflict. Plus, he also doesn't know if he should be trusting her, you know. She she has problems. That's that first episode, like, you suddenly, you you find out that Elizabeth Moss is actually married to a photographer who works on the paper, but she sort of forgets that and it dawns on her towards the end of the episode and you're going, oh, Really? And she goes yeah. home to the wrong apartment. She's trying to get into the wrong apartment. She has yeah. to look up look up her licence to realise, oh, yeah, look, I'm at the wrong place. I'm on the floor above. Um, you know, things in the, the plot line that are just a little bit hard to get. And, you know, it, it doesn't have to ring true. I mean, it's a piece of art. You can do what you like, I guess. But um, it's just really... Um, it, it really um, stretches. It starts in 1964, and then it flashes forward to 1992. Then you go back a couple of years. Um, so, and this whole time travel thing, I don't quite get. It's as if the serial killer can time travel. I don't quite understand what's going on. Yeah, I don't understand what's going on either because Jamie Bell doesn't age at all from the 60s to the 90s. He still looks exactly. <laughs> But, but I'm wondering if perhaps this is a story about the trauma that women face after particularly violent attacks and what has happened to Elizabeth Moss is, is pretty gruesome and it happens to someone else in the first episode. So, you know, I'm wondering if the fact that she can't remember things is kind of like her suffering PTSD. Uh, but, yeah, I, I, I can't go the distance. I'm not interested enough to find out. Yeah, look, that's that's a great point, and it's you know it's something that obviously we we don't understand, and so it, it is good good seeing that that's you know that that is something that um, happens. I mean, you know, women getting followed home and and attacks and stuff like that. You'd you'd like to think that doesn't happen anymore, but it does with frightening regularity. You know, and yeah. around Australia in the last few years, it's been all too prevalent. Um. Something which I think we're probably both in agreement on is um, the offer, the, the new Paramount Plus series, a dramatisation of the 
the way the Godfather turned from a well started how it turned into a book and then how it turned into a very successful motion picture franchise. Well, it's my favourite new drama so far of 2022. I'm absolutely loving it. It's got that whole uh, vibe that Quentin Tarantino created in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It's the late 60s baby going into the 70s. you got the fashion, you got the music, you got the aesthetics, and then you tell this story about all of the principles involved in the making of The Godfather. But it's fun, James, you know, <laughs> even the darker stuff in it, like the subplot about the mafia not wanting the movie to be made, even that you think, oh, no, they're going to do something awful. But they even find something, you know, funny and uh, some comedy in all of that. So, you know, I really like it because it's got a sense of, history about it but they've made the history fun so yeah i'm giving this one uh the highest rating of any american drama i've seen this year i am loving it and i wish it was all there to binge in one piece because i can't wait for the new episode to drop i've watched the first three right yeah i've seen um nearly finished the second one but uh, yeah i i second everything you say there it's just just wonderful um the it starts with a recreation of uh new york um in the, it's the 60s, I think, isn't it? It starts off. Um, it's the late 60s. Yeah. And they do a great job. I mean, it reminds me of the, some of the, the recreations of in New York. And remember Vinyl, the, um, the show set in the 70s about sort of the music industry in New York. It's got that same sort of vibe. And what was the series about the um, sort of sex industry in New York that we both enjoyed? Oh, the juice again. It's it's got that same feel about it. They just do a wonderful job of um, yeah. recreating New York, and of course, a lot of the actions set in um, in Hollywood as well, and that's great. Um, some of the, there's just so many highlights in those first couple of episodes. Um, I guess the the scene stealer in most of it, in the initially anyway, is Matthew Good as uh, Robert Evans. Oh, yeah. Doesn't he? He has some wow. fun with that character. He's fantastic. Um, People might remember him. He had a he had a fairly significant role in Downton Abbey. He was in The Crown as uh, Tony Armstrong Jones, a Princess Margaret's husband, for a while. Also, you know, he was a um a, a well known photographer. Um, and the 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 confrontation with Frank Sinatra in a restaurant between the actor who portrays um Mario Puzo, the the author of the uh, of The Godfather, that's, that's just fantastic. It's just so much yeah. fun. The, and the writers have done so well with the dialogue, you know. The, so, some of the um, dialogue that, that Robert Evans drops in some of the, the meetings and the way he treats some of the executives, he walks that line between the, the financial backers of the movie and the creatives who are always at loggerheads and Robert Evans navigates that, um, that fine line wonderfully. Yeah, yeah. It's just glorious. And wait until you get to the moment where... Miles Teller playing the producer of The Godfather, you know, goes down to the set of Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid uh, <laughs> to try and talk to one of the actors there. Like, it's just, uh, there's every single part of it I love. I, I, it'll be one of those shows I'll have to watch again. Yeah. I, I guess the, the theme, it, it revolves around a, a, a young producer who sort of has a sort of a, a dream a dream arrival in Hollywood. He doesn't expect to be a, making movies or, or TV, but he gets a chance. I think it's played by Miles uh, Teller. 
Miles Teller. That's right, guy called Al Al Ruddy, Al Rudy. I think yeah. we're going to see a bit more of him in Top Gun Maverick at something more recently. Oh, okay. He's done that will be fairly high profile. And I mentioned that Matthew Good's a bit of a scene still, but so is Juno Temple as um as Al Ruddy's sort of PA, if you like. She has yeah, some uh, great, yeah, some great scenes, some great dialogue. I didn't realise that she's actually the daughter of uh, director Julian Temple. Um, oh, I. Know that, but you know, I had to, I had to stop and Google the cast list. I'm like, who is that fantastic girl I've seen yeah. before? And it's like, oh, it's that fantastic girl from Ted Lasso. I just love this show yeah. even more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's um, she's great in Ted Lasso, and she's good in this Julian Temple, of course. But I think he was the director of the great rock and roll Swindle, the um, movie about the Sex Pistols, which is. I interviewed him in like 1999 as one of the first directors I interviewed when I was uh, the entertainment reporter at Channel V. Yeah. Oh wow, wow, that's uh, that's good. Was he out here in Australia? Was he? yeah, he came out for the film, and um, you know, yeah, I, I definitely, you know, I definitely interviewed him. But but I remember it was really, really in the early days, and it was one of my first. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so that's uh, wonderful stuff. We we can't recommend the offer uh, highly enough. It's just fantastic, and the and just the early scenes too, where um, Mario Puzzo's a rider down on his luck. You know, he's thinking, oh, you know, he's living in a very modest uh, New York apartment. He sits he's at the dining table with his wife, wondering, oh, what am I going to do? How can we earn earn some money? How can I get a book published? You know, is um, he's, he's just come back from a I, I meet the author where I think nobody turned up, you know. So he he thinks, look, I'll I'll bang out this book about. Um, I've got an idea for a book about the mafia, and um, we'll get going. That whole stuff about the the mafia and their connection with the, you know, what they thought about the movie is fascinating too, isn't it? So the reason we're getting the offer now in 2022 is because this year is the 50th anniversary of The Godfather. What I really hope is happening right now is next year we have another massive 50-year anniversary and this would make a cracker of a TV series, The Making of the Exorcist. It would be the Ooh. same thing, the writing of the novel with William Peter Blatty, the original exorcism on which it's based on, and the film was notorious for things going wrong. There was key <laughs> cast members died, uh, the set caught on fire, they, you know, they felt they were playing with fire, making a movie about the devil. So, yeah, hopefully for next year, 2023, the 50th anniversary of The Exorcist, that someone should be doing a treatment on the making of that, like the offer. It would be terrific. It gives me a nice little segue into something I was going to mention later. The um, So you're a big fan of The Exorcist. Yeah, now, huge. It's interesting because there's a, there's a UK critic called Mark Commode who um, – writes for The Guardian. He also does a spot on um, BBC World um, Channel every Friday, which a lot of people like as a much-watched. But more importantly, he's in a, he's been doing a podcast with uh, Simon Mayo, who's a bit of a radio legend here in the UK, and it's actually been on – it's been going for about 25 years. I'm a very late newcomer to this. I only got into this last year, and – but. I'll get onto the podcast in a second, but Mark Commode's big thing, he's a massive fan of The Exorcist. 
It's his yeah. favourite movie, and given half a chance, he'll talk about it. Uh-huh. So, but he's a great critic. He do, he's just does some great work, and he's well worth a listen. And I'd recommend you the, the podcast to them. Anyway, the podcast has just left the BBC. It was it was a a movie show that was broadcast. They have a radio channel in the UK. Uh, they call it Five Live, sort of Radio Five. They have Radio One, Two, Three, Four, and Five Live is like their news channel. It's news Monday to Friday, and on weekends they have quite a bit of sport. But on Friday afternoons they had a two-hour uh, movie show from three to five pm, which was fantastic. And that, but it even had a bigger audience as a podcast. So, but it has just left the BBC under quite a, a little cloud of controversy. It was. You know, it's not really known why it ended and nobody's really spoken about why. But anyway, it's been – it was part of a company that Sony uh, Music's podcast arm picked up a year ago. So maybe I've got a feeling that might have been part of the problem, but that it had a quite a commercial relationship. Anyway, it's relaunching this week as Kermode and Mayo's Take. The new episode wow. is out on Friday this week. They're actually going to be doing two episodes a week now – plus a um, subscriber-only um, extra. I'm not sure what that is yet because it hasn't happened. But this is this is just, in the UK, this has been getting massive publicity. It was on the cover of The Observer, one of the major Sunday papers last week. It had six pages inside, believe it or not, devoted wow. to this, this podcast. One of the interesting things about it, a lot of the big-name film directors are fans of the podcast and they come on as guests. And this this feature is fascinating because a lot of these people like Kenneth Branagh, uh, Tom Hanks is a bit of a fan. He's been on, he had a wonderful episode. But anyway, the, all these stars and directors did a Q&A with these guys and that was just fascinating reading. They're also in the Radio Times this week, the the biggest selling magazine in the UK, which um, and it's got a spread on on their new podcast, so people should check that out if they're interested in. Um, and they they're spreading out to TV as well now. Um, right. they, they used to just do movies. They did a bit of TV during the lockdowns, but they're going to have TV and film on their radar. So that's uh, worth checking out. Um, a few other things I'll get you to talk about. I haven't caught up with some of this stuff, but um, Big Brother, first of all, is coming back. Now, you're a bit of a Big Brother fan. Well, I used to be a, a fan of Big Brother. I don't know that I really love the new format because Big Brother's more like Survivor now. It's, you know, every show they're doing this kind of, you know, feat of human endurance. And because the show is taped months and months in advance, I don't know that I really believe the edit anymore. And when Big Brother was airing every night on 10 at 7pm, they only had 24 hours of the day and they had to make a 30-minute episode out of what had just happened and it was it chronologically worked through it. Now that it's been pre-recorded in advance, they can do almost anything in that edit suite. Uh, so I'm not convinced about this new Big Brother. However... This is the series where they're bringing back former faves like Tim Dormer, Reggie Bird and Dave Graham, Farmer Dave. Uh, So I will be checking it out, uh, particularly to see Farmer Dave because, as you know, I'm working on a project, the, the Queer History of Australian TV, and, you know, his coming out on Big Brother 
and telling them that he was a gay man back in 2003 when it happened. That was a pretty big deal. And, um, I, you know, it'll be fascinating to see where he is all these years later. He's done Dancing with the Stars in between and all of that. So it starts on 7 on Monday night. The episodes are there to preview. I'm not going to watch the previews. Uh, I'll try and watch them as they go live on Monday night and see what everyone's saying on Twitter about it. Yeah, I guess that's one of the attractions, isn't it, for a lot of people that they can, they can watch it when it's broadcast and sort of yeah. talk to other fans and give feedback on social media about sort of it's, it's a show that really works live in that whole sort of that social media world. Yeah, I'm only watching it to see those faves come back. Yeah. Uh, Family Court Murders on the ABC. Yeah, I tried to watch this, but the preview episodes aren't there on the ABC media site yet. I would imagine, James, that the ABC has been particularly careful about this doco series because they've been having a bit of trouble lately with uh, their Juanita Nelson doco that they did last year. You know, the source uh, turned out to be not so great. A lot of people had problems with the ghost train fire one. I didn't. I thought it was fantastic. But, yeah, it's going to be a three- or four-part series. Uh, What's interesting is that the investigative journalist who's doing it uh, has first-hand knowledge of this uh, type of crime. So there's a personal connection to her investigation. Um, So, look, this is the sort of true crime I'm more interested in. I'm less interested in the rich people who push people downstairs. I'm more interested in these... Australian true crime cases, many of which we've lived through and uh, going back and uh, re-examining the evidence uh, and having a look at it. So, yeah, it's Tuesday night at 8.30 on the ABC and then I view. I will definitely be watching it. Now, Marilyn Munro, there's a name we don't hear much of these days, but when I was a youngster growing up, you, you know, every year there was some revelation about oh. Well, Marilyn Monroe did this. There was Marilyn Monroe diaries. There was new photo shoots discovered. And she was a major cultural icon, you know. That, um, yeah. But, you know, the passage of time, you know, there's generations now that would mean her name would mean very little too. But um, Netflix is sort of uh, reigniting the, um, the, the flame, if you like, and, um, you know, I think there'll be a fair bit of interest in, in Marilyn Monroe who, who might, People might recognise the name, but they won't know what she stood for, what she did. Um, have you have you delved into this new series, Mark? Yeah, it's a one-off. It's a it's a movie length documentary. Oh, okay. Marilyn Monroe, Unheard Tapes. It's based on author Anthony Summers. He wrote a book in 1985 called Goddess, and he kept all of the original interview tapes. So what you get is uh, the unheard tapes. Uh, There's some audio footage of Marilyn Monroe when she was talking to other interviewers, obviously not Anthony Summers. Um, But, you know, he talks to people like director Billy Wilder and you hear Billy Wilder's very uh, unmistakable European accent voice talking about what it was like to work with Marilyn Monroe and they get actors to recreate uh, telephone conversations sort of in the way that they're doing now. We saw that in the Andy Warhol diaries. They get an actor to recreate as this kind of, you know, narration goes on. I guess the problem with it for me 
is that it's trying to make out that it's, uh, you know, it wants you to think that it's got some new revelation about Marilyn, but it doesn't. It's all the same old info we know before. We dredged through her affairs with President Kennedy and Robert Kennedy and was she murdered, was it an overdose? To me, it's, it's much more interesting to look at what was going on when she was working at 20th Century Fox at the time because she was sacked because Elizabeth Taylor was over budget over in Rome making Cleopatra and they decided to make an example of her and fire her from her film and then when she was found dead everyone said oh well she was suicidal because she got fired. What people don't know is that Marilyn Monroe had been rehired by 20th Century Fox because Dean Martin, her co-star, had demanded that she be brought back. He said I don't care how long it takes her, because she was famous for taking lots of takes and being late. He said, I don't care how long it takes. I'm making the film with her because she's brilliant and that's that. And Billy Wilder says the same thing. And now that we've got a Marilyn Monroe movie on Netflix and bringing her uh, story to a young generation, you would think that Netflix would have some Marilyn Monroe movies to watch on their platform. And that don't. I looked and I was shocked. They just have this documentary. They've got no synergy with some of her really classic films like Some Like It Hot, The Seven Year Itch, Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. It goes on and on how many great movies she made. I mean, the difference is you go to Paramount Plus to watch The Offer and there's The Godfather remastered for its 50th anniversary and, and you can watch The Godfather after you watch The Offer. I thought that was one of the points of doing these investigations on the streaming services that you could actually investigate it a, li- a little bit more while you're on the same streaming service. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned the old movies. Um, I haven't looked at this yet, but I think IMDb had a TV uh, channel or a TV stream called IMDb TV. That's recently yeah. been rebranded as FreeV. And I yeah. think they offer a lot of the older Hollywood movies. Well, yeah. Can we watch it in Australia or do you need a VPN I'm, to watch it? I'm not sure. I don't know if it's available in Australia yet. Because but, my ears perked up the other day when I heard that they had all nine seasons of Falcon Crest streaming on it. And <laughs> I was like, wow, okay, IMDb, <laughs> you finally have my attention, um, the great 80s soap. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't, I'm not aware that it's here in Australia, but I, I'll pop in my VPN and have a look sometime. Yeah. I know I've watched some old Hitchcock movies on Amazon and yet they yeah. rent them so you can pay a fairly low price for a rental. Um, yeah. So I've done that. Look, you um, know, I still like it hot starring Marilyn Monroe, Tony Curtis and Jack Lemmon uh, has, uh, is a hugely culturally significant film and it has been voted several times as the greatest movie comedy of all time. Yes, it's in black and white, but... You know, I reckon you could sit a young person down in front of it to watch it, and I think they would see what the appeal of it is. It's the most brilliant movie, and it's it's a real shame to me that Netflix hasn't offered at least that as a sampler of Marilyn Monroe at work. Instead, we get this documentary with pictures of her um, and newsreel footage and her voice. Come on, let's see Marilyn Monroe where she was at her best when she was in those movies. Yeah, yeah. Um you mentioned um, Falcon Crest. This might be an opportune time to talk about our, our Mikado's TV Pass segment this week. 
what what classic Aussie um, piece of television? I guess these aren't are going to be all Australian, but but for the time being, they are. What what have you been delving into this week? Well, I think it's very interesting that last year when Seven started screening RFDS, which was their new modern take on the Royal Flying Doctors, that Nine now very quietly put the Flying Doctors onto their catch-up service. I mean, at the time, you know, um, RFDS uh, never acknowledged really that there'd been a series about the Flying Doctors before, but it was a hugely successful series for Nine in the 80s, one of their bigger Aussie successes. It was made by Crawford Productions because uh, Ian Jones, I think, saw a Flying Doctors plane for sale in auction and he bought it and then went to Hector Crawford and said, I've got the plane, now we need to make the TV series. And it was a huge success. It started off as a mini-series. Uh, they brought it, yeah, an American actress out. I can't remember her name. She starred in the TV season, TV version of Private Benjamin. Uh, they brought her okay. out. The miniseries was successful. It took off. So then they turned it into a series, got rid of the American girl, and uh, it starred Andrew McFarlane and Lenore Smith and Shane O'Brien and Rebecca Gibney, and it was a huge show. But I don't know why it isn't there in its entirety on Nine now. There's only three seasons of it there to watch, um, which either suggests that uh, it's not doing terribly well and so therefore Nine don't feel the need to add more seasons. They made nine seasons of the show and there's only a third of it there to watch, or Nine are just cheap and don't want to buy the whole thing. But, you know... Uh, it, it was a great show of its time and uh, it's there on Nine Now if you want to check it out, filmed on location at the, in the fictional town of Cooper's Crossing. Huh. I think Lorna Patterson was that US actor who... Um, That's the one, yeah. ...came out. And an update on um, Freebie, yeah, that's um, geo-blocked for Australia at present, so you might yeah. be able to get around it with a, um, with a VPN. Yeah. Um, Look, you've been a bit of a Neighbours fan and you'll be wearing a black armband a week at uh, the, the final episode goes out. Now, they've um, they've made a couple of uh, announcements that is sure to um, sure to draw a big crowd for those last episodes. Well, yeah, we, it, it's been confirmed uh, via their Instagram accounts and you had to piece the two pictures together to see that it was a call sheet for... Kylie Minogue and Jason Donovan are uh, to be filming on location in Ramsey Street. So clearly they're back for maybe the last episode or certainly that last week. This is going to make the last episode huge. Uh, I'd like to think that 10 are going to screen it on the main channel and not leave it uh, on 10 Peach. But, yeah, I think we're working our way up to a really uh, big finale. And I'm actually writing a story about Neighbours for the Women's Weekly and I was speaking to someone there the other day, and I'm trying not to get plot spoilers because I'm sure they want to keep it all quiet, but this person did let it slip, you know, that he, that he thought all the fans would be very happy and all the heritage characters coming back. So I'd say maybe it's not just Scott and Charlene coming back. Uh, so I'm hugely, hugely, hugely excited for it. Uh, Neighbours, is, as I've always said, is still going out on top. Uh, this week on Neighbours, there's been a lesbian love triangle because there's now a third lesbian in the show and she's 
a queer uh, Christian woman of colour, which uh, is fascinating, and uh, two of the girls are fighting over her. Uh, next week we're going to have a, a character who's in a wheelchair, um, and I saw just the other day that there's another uh, multiracial family still to move into Ramsey Street in uh, the last days, and there's also going to be a non-binary character. So Neighbours is continuing to push their diversity in front of the camera and behind it right up until their last episode. Okay. Well, that's good. That's good. Look, um, we're nearly out of time today. The um, I'll, I've just got a few little things I'll, um, I'll mention before we wrap. Um, the I, Look, I'm loathe to mention too many new shows that are, that are about to drop because we're sort of um, trying to get through the load of stuff that's available now. But things to watch out for, which we will talk about, if not next week, very soon. Um, I'm yeah. really looking forward to the – I've seen a trailer for The Essex Serpent. It's sort of uh, – Return of Claire Danes, if you like, to uh, drama. So that's on Apple TV Plus, launching on May 13. Yeah. Period drama looks fantastic. She's co-starring with Tom Hiddleston, so I think that a lot of people will be interested in that. Um, Di Ray is the latest from uh, Jed Mercurio, the guy um, who created Line of Duty, of course. That's um, yeah. doing big business on OTV in the UK. It's coming to SBS soon. I'm not sure how soon. The BAFTAs, the TV part of the BAFTAs, are screening on Monday morning Australian time. Sadly, it's not broadcast in Australia. But the wow, interesting okay. thing for me is the Radio Times this week, the, the UK TV magazine, has got a special BAFTAs issue and they've got about six or seven alternate covers. Um, yep. And the thing that excites me is one of them features Saran Jones. So it's, hey. a, it's great to see her on the cover of Radio Times. And then I'll just reference that podcast again quickly, Commode and Mayo's Take, which is yeah. out on this Friday. So if you have time, um, dip into that. Have you got anything to leave us with? Well, since you're talking podcast, I might recommend You Must Remember This, which is my favourite podcast about old Hollywood. They're doing uh, a cracker uh, of a series now on uh, sex in Hollywood. So it starts in uh, the 70s with Deep Throat becoming a hardcore pornographic film, uh, bursting into the top 10 movies. Uh, And then it moves into the 80s and it looks really hard at, Bo Derek in 10, becoming the 80s first sex symbol. And now I'm on to Richard Gere in American Gigolo. And what these movies were saying about uh, the way uh, uh, sex was being presented on the screen, it's really fantastic. Corinne Longworth does such an amazing job and her research is so spot on. I always, always learn something from her when I watch it. So, yeah, you must remember this. Do they talk to any of the cast or creatives involved? No, it's just her. She talks. Sometimes she'll put a grab. You know, she might have a grab from uh, Bo Derek with her husband talking on the Donahue show, or she might have a lot of dialogue from 10 with Julie Andrews and Dudley Moore. It's mostly just her working her way through the story and telling you the info. I love it. Okay, great. Look, that's been another episode of uh, Manning and Mercado. Look, weekly podcast now, so 
if you don't subscribe, hit the either the subscribe button, I think Apple might call it the follow button now, and you'll get this um, automatic um, download and alert of when the new episodes come out. So just recapping some of those series we recommend. The offer gets a big thumbs up from us. Shining Girls yeah. and The Staircase, look, both worth a look. I might mention quickly too, Michael Stuhlberg is probably the, the star attraction for me in The Staircase. He was um, he played a sort of uh, a, a gangster in uh, Your Honour, the Brian Cranston series set in New Orleans. Um, oh, I remember. Michael Stuhlberg was the father of the That's person right. who died in the hit-and-run accident, which sort of the, the series. But yeah, he was a very scary character. And he plays the solicitor defending Michael Peterson in this. So he's he's such a good actor. Uh, he's really good. So, yeah, all right, Andrew. Look, great catching up with you again, and we'll do it all again next week. Thank you, James. Have a good week.